0: You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. All right. We are starting a new series today called But God. Um, and and uh, it is a unique series, only four weeks long. Um, and uh, parents in here, raise your hand. Okay. Um, so how many of you have heard your children say but mom or but dad and you you can hear the eye roll without even looking at them right okay um so when we think about the phrase but god sometimes we think about it in the way that we are used to saying that phrase but something and so we think it's an eye roll or we think it's a kind of thing um, but in reality, when you look at scripture and you look at the times where there is a phrase that says, but God, it is not a kind of thing. It's a, uh, an intersection of God's grace and action on behalf of the people that he loves. So a lot of times it looks like something really bad is happening, but God saved them, right? Right. Or something is overwhelming to somebody, but God gave them grace. And so this is an opportunity for us for the next four weeks to look at the ways that but God plays out in our life. Where something could have happened, but God changed the course of direction. But God changed our hearts. But God gave us love. All these kinds of things. And they're played out in scripture. And so uh, we're going to take a look at four examples over the next four weeks of uh, this phrase, and they are all over in scripture, we're just going to pick out four, uh, that I think lead us uh, somewhere. So we'll start today and kind of grow with it over the next three or four weeks. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can flip to Luke chapter 16. We'll get there uh, in a moment. The main idea of today is, but God knows your heart. This is the foundational truth that we'll kind of build on for the next couple weeks. Um, it's really great when we get to read moments in Scripture where there's a giant army, right, And like Hezekiah. And he doesn't know how he's going to overcome this giant army. Um, and so he, he lays uh, himself before the altar of the Lord and he says, You're going to have to do something about this because I can't. And then the next thing you read is God kills the entire army of Sennacherib in one fell swoop, just gone. It's a phenomenal story of but God intervenes, right? Um, but I think that we really need to start with the very personal. It's very easy to start with the broad, but we need to start with the personal. But God knows your heart. And, and if, if you let this simple truth, and it's very simple... If you let this simple truth work its way into your mind and heart today, it could kind of be uncomfortable. It could kind of be scary or painful. It could kind of be intimidating that God knows your heart. And we're going to expound on what that means throughout the course of this message. Um, So if you have uh, Luke chapter 16, I want to give you some context before we go any further. Um, In Luke chapter 16, uh, Jesus, most of mine is in red letters at this point, Um, Jesus is talking to a group of people called the Pharisees and the Pharisees, well, this is how I was told to remember their name Uh, there were two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees Um, and the Sadducees, you're supposed to remember that that group of people doesn't believe in the resurrection and the way you remember that is they were sad, you see Um, okay, this is free for you today Um, and the Pharisees weren't so fair, you see um, they lived in a world of um, law and un- unfairness. They lived one way, but they taught another way. And so Jesus was talking to the Pharisees today, uh, and he was telling them a parable, and this is honestly uh, one of the most um, it's a parable that it stretches my brain a little. Um, a lot of parables I understand right away. I, I, I get the idea that the kingdom of heaven is like, right? You know, or um, you know, there's a lost coin, and, and the person went to go find the lost coin and lost you. These I understand. This parable it, it challenges me and stretches me, and it's the parable of the dishonest manager. Hey, okay, so there was this master, right? Um, and he had a lot of business, and he had a, a, a business manager who was in charge of his finances. And the business manager was doing some unscrupulous things. And so the master said, well, I have found out about this. And the, the business manager said, well, I'm going to get fired. Um, so he went around to all of the people who owed his master money. And he said, well, you owe my master 100 coins? Knock it down to 50. Okay? You owe him 75? Knock it down to 30. You owe him 600? 10. You're fine. Just pay him 10. Okay? Word got back to the master that this had happened and scripture tells us and this is where we find it challenging that the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness and every time i read this i'm like what is jesus saying why is jesus telling a parable about commending dishonest people and part of it is lost in the english translation the word that sometimes is rendered commend or praise in the original language, just means to recognize. It doesn't mean to recognize in a good way or a bad way. It just means, I recognize this has occurred. So what is really happening here is the master is recognizing he has been shortchanged, treated poorly, and the business manager lost a job. Now, Jesus on the heels of that tells the Pharisees, listen, if you're faithful in little things, then you will be faithful in big things. If you're dishonest in little things, you're going to be dishonest in big things. If you're serving God, then you're not going to be serving money. But if you're serving money then you cannot be serving God. He's really trying at this point to tell the Pharisees, I'm trying to get at your heart here. I'm trying to help you see that you live one way and you preach another way. I'm trying to help you see that there is a flaw in your life and heart in the way you relate to God. And then he continues, and this is um, the verse that we're going to read today. and, and, And the way that I understand this in Scripture is you can fool others. This is how the Pharisees lived. You can fool others a lot of times. And here's the verse where Jesus pulls it out. And if you have your Bible app, it should give you a little ding at the bottom. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of And so Jesus, on the heels of this parable about not serving two masters and um, shrewd behavior and working out for your own advantage, which is what the dishonest manager did, he's saying, listen, Pharisees, like I could just picture him grabbing their heads and saying, I'm talking to you. You're justifying yourself before men. You're making yourself look really good in front of other people. People walk around you and go, they are so holy. They talk to God. They use fancy words. They tithe out of their spice cabinets, right? These are holy people, is what other people think. But Jesus says, listen, I know your heart. And in your heart, you're not holy. In your heart, you're not worshiping God. In your heart, you're living contrary to God. But you can make yourself look real good in front of people. You are really good at justifying yourself, your actions, your words, in front of other people. And the word justify, we remember, here's another freebie, is just as if. Okay? So when Jesus justified us through his death on the cross, it is just as if we never sinned. So when Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you are those who justify yourselves before men, you are just as if you didn't sin. Just as if you didn't have a problem. Just as if you are totally the holiest person on your own. This is a a works-based faith that Jesus is talking about. He's saying, listen, you Pharisees think that you guys can justify yourselves. You think that you're powerful and most holy enough that you can decide what is justified and what isn't and you live your life saying fancy prayers out in the public so other places, other people can hear you. In fact, there was one moment in Scripture where um, Jesus told another story about a Pharisee and a a tax collector. And um, the Pharisee was praying these holy words publicly, and the tax collector had a really hard time approaching to worship and to pray. And the tax collector prayed, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I, I need you desperately. Please come help me. And the, the Pharisee said, thank you, Lord, that I am not like the tax collector. And Jesus said now to the crowd, which one of you do you think went home justified? And the people were forced to say the tax collector, who was kind of a person that you didn't want to like, think could be justified because they were horrible, horrible people. But that tax collector went home justified because it was God who did the justification, not the person. We are really good at fooling one another. Um, how many of you not maybe not today? Uh, maybe today, I don't know. How many of you have had an argument on your way to church in the morning? OK? Hands are going up, most of the kids, okay, some adults, okay. And then you get out of the car and you walk in the building, right? And are you still arguing? Yeah. No, everything's fine, right? You and your spouse love each other. Your children are the best behaved in the world. It's fantastic. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. You get out the door and into the car. Right? Okay. Because when we do that, we are fooling other people. We are justifying ourselves. Everything is good. There's no problems. Everything's fine. And we're not allowing God to work in our lives in that way. You can fool others. You can do that. We do it all the time. You can even fool yourself. Did you know this? Maybe don't raise your hand on this one, okay? But those little white lies that you tell if you tell them enough, you begin to believe them. Has anybody lived that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> okay? Where you begin to live in such a way or say something in such a way often enough about your own life that you begin to believe that it's true. Um, for example, when I was a youth pastor, all my kids in Southern California were skateboarders. It wasn't good. I'm not a skateboarder. Um, but I wanted to fit in, right? I wanted to connect. So I got a skateboard, cheap one at Walmart. And I would stand around with that skateboard at youth group, looking like, you know, I knew what I was doing. Um, and occasionally I would step on it, you know, I could flip it, I could do a few things. And in my mind, i just a skateboarder, right? Yeah, it was awesome. So cool. Right, I was so cool, and I began to believe that I was capable, yeah, of skateboarding. Cause I stood with that skateboard a long time, months. I flipped around. I even learned to do that thing where you—it was it popping an ollie. I don't know, but uh, you pop it on one side and you can jump back on it. Okay, I learned how to do that. I felt so cool. So I tried to go skateboarding. I'm not a skateboarder. I learned that I could fool myself. I didn't realize it was happening. I had no idea that standing on a skateboard and actually skateboarding were two vastly different skill sets. And it sounds stupid, but we do it all the time. I read the Bible. Every Sunday, at church, one pastor tells me to open it up. I'm a Bible reader. But in reality, the only time is Sunday morning. It's the only time you let the Word of God into your life. But you believe you read the Bible. These are little lies that sneak their way into our life and we begin to believe that the way we live is okay with God. We begin to believe that God and you and me and I have this special relationship that I can live this way and still be okay. I have fooled myself. We can fool others and we do it readily because we don't want other people to see our lives falling apart. We can fool ourselves because we want to believe the best about our lives. It's an Instagram culture, right? I mean, for those of you that are on Instagram, you only put the best picture of your life on Instagram. And then you look at everybody else's pictures and you're like, their lives are so much better than my life. Right? But they are only putting the best picture on Instagram because we're trying to justify ourselves before men and fool ourselves. Right? It's the culture that we live in, and it runs contrary to the way that God would have us live. You can fool yourself. Here's the verse, Proverbs 21.2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Mm, right? But the Lord weighs the heart. Ugh. It's like just when I think I'm right, just when I think I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with myself, the Lord weighs my heart and goes, oh, you know, it's a little off balance with the Holy Spirit. You can fool others. You can fool yourself. But in both contexts, we've seen the Lord looks at the heart. Here's the heart truth. You can't fool God. This is the part where it starts to get painful. The part where if you really let it, you start to realize the immensity of this statement. Where you can't fool God. Where he knows. He knows. He knows. Knows, right? He knows what you don't let anybody else in the world know. He knows what you've never told your spouse or your children or your best friend. He knows what you don't even know is your underlying motivations. He knows your heart, okay? That's mind-blowing. That should freak you out. There's stuff in here, right? I'm not the only one, am I? There's stuff in this heart that he knows about that I don't want him to know about, but I can't fool God. I can fool you guys. I can fool myself, but I cannot fool the one who made me. Here's the verse. It comes from uh, that time when Samuel was going to go anoint David as the king over Israel, but he didn't know that it was going to be David. He just knew that one of the sons was going to be anointed. And so he looked at all of the sons that were lined up, right? And he sees the oldest son, because always the oldest son got the blessing. He sees the oldest son. The oldest son is really strong, right? Got the biggest sword, the biggest beard, right? And it's just older, been around longer. And he thinks this is the one. And God says, not that one. And so he goes to the second oldest, not that one. Goes to the third, not that one. And so so on down the line. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord doesn't really care what we look like. Does that ever, you ever think about that? We spend time making ourselves look good, right? It takes a lot to make this happen on a Sunday morning. My wife shouldn't have laughed that loud. (laughs) Uh, Right, But we we do our hair, and we get haircuts, and we wear nice clothes, and all these kinds of things. And you want to know what the Lord says to that? (laughs) I look on the heart. That's where the Lord is looking. He does not look on the appearance of man, but he looks on the heart. He has a really intimate relationship with every single one of us. He knows, he knows, he knows every single one of us all of the muck and all of the good. He knows it all. And in that, he loves you. Is that going to trip anybody's mind this morning? If, if you all knew, 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 right, what was in here, would you still let me be your pastor? Right? If, if I knew, knew, knew what was in your heart, would we still hang out? The honest to goodness truth is, I don't know, right? Because we're not that transparent with each other. There are some things that stay hidden. But God knows and he loves. This is a mind-blowing fundamental truth of Christianity. That he knows you and he loves you. There is not one thing that is hidden from him. And yet, he loves you. He, he loves you enough as you are, and he loves you enough to lead you somewhere towards righteousness and holiness so that you don't have to self-justify, so that you don't have to fake yourself out, so that you just are someone who is made holy, so that you just are someone who has been justified, but by the grace of God, not by the works of man. God knows you, and he loves you. And this is a two-way street, although oftentimes we treat it as a one-way street. God knows us. He is in relationship towards us. He is never not seeking us. He is always pursuing us, even though we've got all the junk up in our heart, right? But we keep him at a distance, this far and no further. You can have this portion of my life, but not this portion. I'll let you forgive my sins, but I won't give up certain things. I'll just keep asking for forgiveness. The reality is God wants a two-way street here. He doesn't just want to know us, but he wants us to willingly know him in return. That he knows our heart, we should want to know his heart. The heart that loves you despite what is in it. There's a a passage in Romans. Romans we're going to read this morning. And it says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Those times that we want to justify our flesh, those times that we're lying to ourselves. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words, and he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So if you do not know how to know God, God himself will help you know him. He wants you to know him. It continues, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, For those whom he foreknew, and I think he foreknew all of us, right? He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, meaning that before time began, he gave an immense amount of grace to you, particularly in his heart, so that one day when you would be born and live, you would have the ability to know him. In order that he might be uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, that's us, he also called. He calls us. He says, come, be in relationship with me. And those whom he called, he also justifies. We don't have to justify ourselves. He justifies us. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, which means one day, one day, we will be made perfectly whole. One day in God's presence, all of that in our heart will be stripped away completely and we will be holy and righteous and blameless and pure. That's just so cool. What then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. And, and Romans also says that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. While we still had all that heart issue, Christ died knowing that that was still a problem. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who does the justification. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died and more than that who was raised, who is seated at the right hand of God and who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or self-justification, or hidden sins? As it is written, for your sake we're all being killed all the day long, and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, but no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I'm sure, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor uh, more powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's really powerful, considering what's in our hearts. That God loves us and knows us and leads us somewhere into relationship with him. This morning, this, the worship team is going to come and lead us in a time of worship. This is the moment in your life, right now and right here, where you get to take your heart and all the stuff that's in it and say, I know you already know it, but now I'm going to actually admit it to you and let you do a healing work. (coughs) When you pray this morning as we worship, there is a very good practice about actually saying things out loud. Maybe not verbally, but... Christ it's really easy to continue lying to yourself, fooling yourself when you say simply Lord forgive my sins because maybe you're not dealing with the sins that need to be dealt with, you just want the icing on the cake, but if you have to specifically name those sins Lord forgive me for the time that I was angry this week when I didn't treat my children right When I stole, X, Y, or Z. When I insert whatever happens to be. And you say those things out loud. You begin to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the gentleness of his love bringing you towards life and away from sin. But we miss out on that when we just go, forgive me of my sins. Enter into this beautiful relationship with him. He knows you. Now take that step towards knowing him a little better. Allow him to work in your heart. Maybe he'll bring something to mind you didn't even know of. And he will be gracious to you. Nothing will separate you from his love. Let's pray and then worship. Lord, what an amazing truth. To be known by the creator of the universe and be loved. I can't honestly think of any better words in scripture than, but God knows my heart. Thank you for knowing me, thank you for loving me and thank you for not leaving me the way I was when you found me. Receive our worship and our prayers and speak to each one of us this morning so that we may know that you know and that we may know that you love. We pray this in the name of Jesus. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org.